but we're glad to have you here. Got a story to tell you. This is a Christmas story. This is one of those, those fun stories. This is about a pastor who was, uh, he graduated from school. He was ready to get put into a church, and he and his wife were assigned this church in Brooklyn, New York. And so they went into Brooklyn, New York. The church had been closed down. It needed to be opened up. And so they went in to take a look at the place. This was in October. And they went in and looked around the place and they said the plaster was coming off the walls. The pews needed to repair. Painting needed to be done. All kinds of repairs needed to be done. And they didn't get discouraged. They said, no, we can get this done. And they set a date. They said, by Christmas Eve of this year, we're going to have this church open. And so they set out to work and they worked on the, on the repairing the pews and they replastered the walls and they repainted and they did all these things. And they were actually ahead of schedule on December 18th. They were almost done. And then December 19th came a two-day rainstorm. And the roof didn't hold up. And water leaked in and took out a section of 20 foot on one side of the wall of plaster. Eight foot high, 20 foot 20 foot wide. And they saw that and said, there's no way we can get this repaired in time to open a church on Christmas Eve. They still didn't get discouraged. And they just said, we just need to set out and we'll, we'll get out to, to work on some things. And the pastor was walking on his way home from checking out the church. And he saw this sign that had a, had a, 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 a what do you call it, a rummage sale for a charity. And so he walked on in to take a look at what was there. And in, in this rummage sale, he found a it looked like a tablecloth or some kind of a parchment that was made. And it was a nice ivory color. And right in the center, someone had embrosed a cross. He thought, this would work great. It's big enough. It will cover that whole section of plaster that, um, that, that we, we can't repair. And we can still open on Christmas Eve. And so he, he got it. He walked on back to the church and he was preparing to hang up this, this uh, big tapestry that was there. And as he was getting there, he saw a woman running the other way. And she was trying to catch the bus and just missed the bus. And it was cold outside. And, well, he, uh, he didn't want her to, to wait. He says, why don't you come on inside the church and you can wait. And so she did. She came in the back, sat in the back of the church, and she was waiting for the next bus to come along. And he, she wasn't paying much attention to the pastor. But then she saw what he was doing. He was hanging up this big tapestry. And he looked at that and he said, she got out of her chair and she walked up the center aisle. And she looked at this tapestry and she was white as a sheet. And she said, Pastor, where did you get that tapestry from? He said, oh, I just got it at a garage sale down there. He said, she said, would you look at the bottom corner and ask, tell me if there are three initials? E, B, G. He looked down at the bottom corner, and sure enough, down in the bottom corner were the three initials E, B, G. She said, I thought it would be kind of hard to believe that a second tapestry like that was, was made. She said, I sewn that one back in my home country in Austria. And that was a tablecloth for us. He said, but... Um, before the Nazis came in and took over, we had to flee. And so I left a week before my husband, and he was supposed to come the week after. And so I left, and I've not seen my home or my husband since. She said, a week after, he was supposed to leave, but he was arrested by the Nazis, and he was put into a, 
prison camp. And I don't know if he died. I don't know what all happened, but I've never seen him again. So he wanted to give her the tapestry. And she said, no, 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 it's, it's, it works there. It's great there. I don't really have a place to use it like I used to. You keep it, be here in the church. He said, well, can I at least give you a ride home? And so she said, okay. She lived over in Staten Island. So he uh, put her in the car and he, he drove her home, dropped her off and um, walked her up to the apartment that she stayed in and made sure she got in okay. And, and that was it. Well, Christmas Eve came and they opened the church. First service and the place was full. There were people all over. It was a great Christmas Eve service. And as everybody was filtering out and leaving, he looked over the, the congregation. There was one person who was sitting in the pews. There was an elderly man. He came up and he said, Where did you get that tapestry? He said, Well, he says, we got it over here. He told him the story of how he got it, but he didn't tell about the woman. And so he was, he was saying, he says, that tapestry used to be a tablecloth in my home. He said, I used to be in Australia, and I was, uh, Austria, and I was, I was taken prisoner by the Nazis. And I've not seen my home or my house since. Talks about his, his wife. And he said, sir, would you mind going for a little ride with me? So he put him in his car. And he drove to the apartment where this woman was. He helped him up the three flights of steps to get to the apartment because he was older. He was having a hard time walking. Probably some of the things left over from the prison camp stay that he had. And he gets up there and he said he watched the most beautiful reunion of 35 years that he had ever seen. Now, when you hear a story like that, as far as I know, folks, that's a true story, not a made-up one. When you hear a story like that, how many ingredients went in to making that reunion happen? If the rainstorm doesn't come, if the plaster doesn't get washed away, if this pastor isn't assigned this church, if he doesn't walk out and walk by the sale. And if he doesn't go in and find the tapestry, if he doesn't walk by the woman who was running, who had happened to only be into Brooklyn that one day on a cleaning job that she had. If he hadn't listened to her story, if he hadn't taken her home. And if the man hadn't found his way into the church on that day. That's a lot of ingredients, isn't it? But they all came together So that even though these two people were in the same country, in the same state, even basically in the same city, but they didn't know that each other was there. But because all the ingredients came in, this reunion happened. For a story like that, you need a lot of ingredients. And we're going to look at a story here today and some things from the Word of God on some ingredients we need in our life to make some great stories happen. Over in the book of Romans, we're going to read there first.
In Romans chapter 4, in verse 19, it says this about Abraham. And not being weak in faith, we've been talking about faith, asking things of God. Asking things of God. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. There were some things that he did not consider. It said, not being weak in faith. We've looked at strong faith. We looked at little faith. We looked at weak faith. We've looked at these different things that are, are going on. As we, we Remember, we first started this. We spent time on the favor of God. And now, favor of God is not something that we pray for, but it's the way that we live. It's the way that we live. And um, I'll tell you what, I had, some, I had two great favor of God stories happen to me this week. Anybody want to hear them? Okay. All right, that's <laughs> I had one, I have a, uh, you know, I, on the side I make bunk beds, and we don't make a whole lot of money out of the bunk beds, but we make some, and I have this one piece of, of a machinery that is absolutely essential. I cannot put the beds together without it, but I only have one of them, because it's too big to have two. There's no backup to it. This is it. And so, it's a drill press, and on this drill press, one thing broke, and so I've been able to fudge it to get by. And then another thing broke. And you know how a drill press is supposed to go up? After you get done drilling, it goes back up. Well, mine doesn't. It, it goes down. That's all that it does. It just keeps going down. But I fudged it. And I kept it working. So what I would do is every time I would drill a hole, is I would go down, and then I would raise it up, hold it there, and then lock it in place, move it to the next hole, and then drill that. And for each bed, I would have to do that 32 to 64 times for each bed. Raise it up, hold it there, lock it in place, move it over, unlock it, lower it back down. And I did this for a couple of months thinking I should get a repair person out here. Maybe they could fix this for me (laughs) and get this thing going. Well, as I was putting together the last bunk bed, the shaft that holds the drill, which only just kind of sits in there and it it just kind of held, it wouldn't hold anymore and it kept falling out. So I did everything I could to press that thing in and get that thing to hold, and it would come out mid-drill. And it would mess up the hole. Finally, I did the last eight holes by hand. And they didn't look all that great. I was able to cover them up with some, some things, but it wasn't all that great. So finally, I decided I have to get this thing done. So I called up the repair place, and they said, all you got to do is take it over to the Sears store, and they will ship it for you to the place we go. So this thing stands as tall as I am. And so I loaded this into my truck, tall as I am, loaded it into my truck, took it over to the Sears store, waited for the service guy to come on out. He came on out. We're pulling it out. He looks at that and he says, we can't ship that. I said, well, we were looking it over. I said, well, how about if I take the top off? Because that's the only thing that's really affected. And I'll just keep the stand. Well, yeah, we can ship the top. All right, we're good. We're back in business now. So he's going to package up the top and ship it out all the way out to Kentucky for it to get fixed. So they put it in the box and they shipped it on out and a week went by and I didn't hear anything. And uh, the, the, the eighth day, I was supposed to hear something in a week in the email or something. They're supposed to contact me and let me know what was going on with it, whether I would want to get it fixed. They said it's at least $100 labor to fix it then plus any parts and any extra thing that they have to do. So I said, that's fine. It's a, it's a $400 piece of machinery, so let's, let's, let's see if we can fix this. So um, 
Wednesday, I have no time to really do anything because we're here with the church and stuff like that. So it was Thursday. Thursday, I finally, uh, I called over there and no one called me back. So I just, I'll just drive over there. So I just drove over to the Sears store. A guy came on out. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, we should, uh, we should have something. He went in the back and said, here's a number you can call. So I went and I called that number to find out, you know, what's going on with this. Well, they couldn't find it. They couldn't find it. They said, what, what number is it under? No, we can't find anything. Finally, they found it. They found us. Oh, we got it. Oh, yeah, they just authorized this yesterday. Apparently, when it was shipped to us, um, it was damaged. The UPS people damaged it in the shipping, and they said it is beyond repair. Yeah, that's... This is a 18, 15, something like that year old piece of machinery that is now damaged. That to replace it will cost $400. To repair it was going to cost at least 100 Probably more than that, but at least 100 So the guy said, but we have authorized you $419 for the purchase of a new one. Glory to God. <laughs> back in the truck, back over to Sears, and we put the order in for it. It's supposed to be in here on Tuesday. No bunk beds until then, <laughs> but it's going to be here on Tuesday. And I'll tell you what, that's a good story. That was a good one. But I had another one too. Uh, uh, remember that I've, I was recovering from a, a, a um, fracture in the hip. And how many have had bad experiences with insurance companies? I called over the insurance company and my doctor was shocked at how fast they got things rolling. And I got the MRI, diagnosed the problem, and uh, we knew what was going on with it. So... Um, we're still dealing with some things. And so uh, I was talking to somebody. There's another uh, person who can help help with some of the, the things I'm still dealing with on, the, on that. So um, I was trying to get a, an appointment in there to go. And so I called up my trustee insurance guy that I had called up before. His name is Shaba. I don't know where that name comes. I've never heard of that name. I told him when he called me, I've never heard of the name Shaba. S-H-A-B-B-A, Shaba. It's a nice guy, but I just never heard of the name before. And so I was talking with him, and I says, uh, I says, look, when I was in PT before, you guys authorized me for about 15 visits. I only did about seven or eight of them. I said, so I didn't t- take up all the visits there. I said, I could do most of the stuff at home. No sense in paying the money for it. So we just uh, left it that way. I'm just wondering, can I get one or two more visits on the PT to head over to this one? We think they might have something to do to help uh, overcome some, some things that I'm facing. And he looked at me and he says, uh, uh, well, I'm sorry. I says, there's no way they're, they're, just, they're out of the network. And uh, there's just no way we can get the authorization for, for that one to go through. And so uh, I, I told him, I says, well, Shaba, you've you, you worked so hard for me before. I really appreciate the way you did that. And I appreciate you looking over all this stuff. Um, thank you very much. And I hung up the phone. And I didn't press him. Uh, didn't do anything like that. Didn't get nasty. Didn't start threatening him. and said, hey, no, hold on a minute. I've been paying, you know, all that sort of stuff. Didn't do any of that. Didn't do, hey, I only used seven or eight of the, didn't, didn't do any of that. Just said, Shaba, I really appreciate all the extra work that you did on this. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I appreciate it. And we'll just go another direction. We'll find another way or I'll just pay it out of pocket myself. And so he hung the phone. 30 minutes later, he called me back. He says, uh, yeah, we're going to be able to do that. I said, you are? He says, yeah, yeah, we're going to be able to do it this way. He says, just, all you've got to do is call them and make sure that they're not billing through the doctor's name and they're billing through the, the, the place that it's called. As long as they do that, we're fine. I said, okay. So I called him back up. He says, well, yeah, we always do that. So we had it all set up and, and taken care of. Isn't that the favor of God? Glory to God. Remember, if you want the favor of God, don't pray for it. 
act favorably at all times, even when you don't seem to be getting your way. That's why I want to tell you both of those stories, because I didn't seem to be getting the thing that I needed, but you still act favorably. Just act favorably. I was going to still act favorably even if, if he didn't call back. I wasn't expecting him to call back. I didn't think well, he has to call back in order. No, I, nothing like that. I just, well, we'll just either go in another direction or, or do whatever. Just stay favorable, and you will find the favor of God will find you. Not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. How many 100-year-old people do you know are having babies? And the deadness of Sarah's womb. So not only is she old, but her womb was called dead. Not producing babies. He did not waver at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he promised he was also able to perform and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now let's take a look at this before we get into the, the story I want you to, to see today. And not being weak in faith. Not being weak in faith, he said. So if, if did I give you some blanks on this? Because I had to take out, I took out a whole lot on your outline because I just couldn't fit it all in there. So I gave you what I could. But to, to not do as Abraham did will make you weak in faith. If I do not do the things that Abraham did, I will become weak in faith. If I am weak in faith, my faith will not get the things that other things will do. Right? We're talking about having faith in your prayers. We're talking about asking God for things. Before we were talking about asking for things that belong to other people, getting favor. Now we've been talking about what about when God has those things. So to not do as Abraham did will make you weak in faith. I need to do whatever it is that Abraham did so that I am not weak in faith, but I am strong. How many of you have ever watched somebody bench press 300 pounds? Anybody ever watch that? All right, a couple of you have. How many can you imagine? Can imagine somebody bench pressing 300 pounds? How many yourself can bench press 300 pounds. Anybody here, you can bench press 300 pounds. My hand is not up because I can't. I'm just... <laughs> I cannot bench press 300 pounds. I do know that. But just because I can't do it doesn't mean it can't be done. It can be done. I'm just... Say it. I'm weak. I am not strong enough to bench press 300 pounds. But just because I'm not strong enough to do it doesn't mean it can't be done. It doesn't mean that I couldn't make myself strong enough to do that. It doesn't mean you couldn't make yourself strong enough to bench press 300 pounds. You could do it. If you did the things that would make you strong. But we don't want to do those things, do we? We don't, we don't like... How many remember the Rocky movies? I love the Rocky movies. My favorite scenes in all the Rocky movies is Rocky Four. And the workout scenes. In the gym. In the, in the barn. Not even a gym. In the barn. How many remember this? Inverted sit-ups in the elevated section. And the guy's punching his stomach as he's coming up for each one. I mean, that just, if that doesn't get your blood rolling, makes me want to go out there and run 10 miles. It may not do that to you. I'm just telling you what it does for me. Get excited. And the music is playing in the background and Rocky is working hard and the sweat's coming off and then, oh, this is so good. 
Great workout scenes in the Rocky movies. They're some of the best workout scenes in movies, period. In my opinion, Brother Cord. <laughs> He's our movie buffy. He probably knows some other ones that maybe one up those, but boy, those things are good. So to do not to, to not do as Abraham did will make you weak in faith. So the things that Paul brings up here in the book of Romans are the things that will make you weak or the things that will make you strong. I got to find out what are the things that make me weak and stop doing them. How many of y'all know some things that you are doing right now that are not good for you? Come on, we can all raise our hands on that, right? We all know some things, but you're not stopping doing it, are you? Nope, you're still doing it. And even sometimes you see the results of that, that's because I'm doing this. Uh huh. But you're not stopping, are you? <laughs> Just because I know that there will be a result of my actions does not mean that I quit it. You got you, you to want to stop or start those things. The word here, weak, means to be feeble, be diseased, impotent, sick, or weak. How many of you ever had a, a, a sickness or disease? Not one that's going to kill you. I mean, just one like a flu or a cold. Or, just makes you weak. Tired. Oh. Can you imagine that, that happened? You had this thing affecting you and it just drained your energy and you didn't want to do some things. That's what we're talking about here. When this stuff comes upon you, it makes your faith weak. So what are the things that he's talking about? And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. He did not consider his own body. What's his body telling him? Dude, you're a hundred years old. Your wife is almost as old as you are. And she hasn't had a baby when she was younger. This is not going to happen. Right? We all, we all can appreciate this. How many of you have ever wanted to start a running, walking, exercise type program? How many wanted to do that? And you went out there and you walked, ran, treadmilled, whatever it was that you were going to do. You went out there and did it. How many heard your body? What was your body talking to you? Your body was saying, why are we doing this? What did I ever do to you? To make you do this to me. And your whole body would talk to you. During the exercise, after the exercise, it hurt for days. Now, I love that kind of pain. I mean, I love that kind. Of, I have a love for that kind of pain that probably is not healthy. <laughs> but I remember one time I was in a gym. And the guy was showing me, because I love ab workouts. Oh, I love ab workouts. Ab workouts are some of my favorite things to do. And this guy was showing me this new exercise I could do. Have you seen that blue ball they have? It's kind of half of a ball that sits on the floor. They have a name for it, uh, Boso or something like that, I think it's called. Well, they showed me this, this exercise for it, that if you sat on it sideways, and you know you brought your hands up and you got your feet underneath of it, and you, you went down on the side and came up with a twisting motion, you would work a completely different set of ab muscles. I said, this is phenomenal. This is great. Because I was doing all kinds of ab stuff, but I wasn't doing anything that worked more on the sides. So you do it on one side and you do it on another. So I did 50 on one side. Never did them before. Flipped it over. I did 50 on the other side. This feels phenomenal. 
this feels great. I went back to the other side. I did another 50. And then I flipped over and I did the other side. I did another 50. I did it until I could barely walk out of there. This was so good. I went back to him and said, thank you. Thank you. I so enjoyed that. I so enjoyed that. And I went home and the next day, I was in such pain. Everything hurt. I could barely walk. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't do those exercises for a week. But then I worked it back in and I did it. My body was talking to me. Now, if you listen to your body, you quit doing the exercise. But if you don't consider what your body is saying, you keep on going. Now, this word here for consider, I wrote a definition of it down. I want you to understand this. And then I'm going to give you something that will help you. The word consider here means to consider, be attentive, to fix one's eye on or upon. To fix one's eyes on or upon. How many of you are planning on fixing your eyes on a football game today? Anybody? Wow, not that many people. All right, a couple of nine. How many are planning to fix your eyes on a Hallmark Christmas movie today? Oh, I got much better. <laughs> All right, there we go. We need to get them, get them somewhere. <laughs> we had um, um, my son-in-law and I, we had the, the kids yesterday, and, and so we, we queued up. We've been looking. I've been egging to watch this all Christmas season long. And so he finally found it, and he said, I've got it. And so we sat down and we watched the Santa Claus. One of the greatest Christmas movies ever. We sat down and we watched it to the, to the, my, my granddaughter didn't want to watch it. I want to watch a kid's movie. We said, it is a kid's movie. She was engrossed for the next hour and a half. Totally and wanted to watch it. Anyway. You're fixing your eyes on the Hallmark Christmas movie or you are fixing your eyes on that football game. And you got your eyes fixed on that football game. How many of you, while your eyes are fixed on the thing that you are putting your attention to, divert your attention because your phone goes off? Your phone goes off, what do you do? Oh, let's see what's going on here. Or the kids make a noise that is not normal. something diverts your attention, right? What happens though after your attention is diverted? You come right back to it. Right back to it. You have no problem, even though your attention got diverted. Come on right, right back. Weak faith, folks, focuses on the promises of God until their body tells them something different. Until life tells them something different and it pulls their attention to the, what the body is saying. What it's trying to do is saying, consider me. Consider me. Now, if you are watching the football game and you are a big football fan, or if you are watching the Hallmark Christmas movie and you are a big Hallmark Christmas movie fan, and someone calls and said, hey, do you want to do this? And you say, after the game. When the movie's over, Right? Because my attention is not going to be diverted. I'm going to stay right here and do this. But you see, when we get into the area of spiritual things, 
when our attention is diverted, we don't always bring it back. Abraham, his body is saying, Abraham, consider me, consider me. And Abraham says, I hear you, but I'm not considering you right now. I'm going back over here and I'm focusing on the promise of God. Promise of God said, I'm going to have a baby. That's what the promise of God said. Then, trying to, yoo-hoo, yoo-hoo, um, have you considered your wife? She's old. She's old. No, no, not going to consider that. I'm focusing on the promise of God. promise of God said, I'm going to have a baby. Yoo-hoo, hello. Uh, did you forget? Your wife doesn't bear babies. Doesn't have kids. Hasn't yet. Ain't going to start now. Uh, I'm not paying attention to you. I'm focusing on the promise of God. See, that's what he did. Because his faith isn't considered weak. But what happens to us? We have the promise of God, and then our body says, Oh, I don't think you're healed yet. Oh, I don't think you're going to be a success. I don't think that God's plans for you are good plans. I don't think, and he can say all kinds of things about what's happening, but you have the choice. Do I consider what other things are saying or do I consider this? Watching that movie yesterday with uh, the Santa Claus. How many have seen the Santa Claus this year? The movie this year. All right. How many are planning to see the Santa Claus movie this year? All right. Here's your assignment when you watch it. There's a great faith statement in there. Great faith statement. I was even talking with Nikolai about it. I said, man, this is great faith teaching right here. And uh, I forget exactly how it goes, if you can remember it exactly, because I didn't write it down. But something to the effect that that, um, uh, uh, believing isn't seeing. Believing isn't seeing. You have to believe first. In, In a secular movie. You got to believe first. Before, now they're talking about Christmas. <laughs> We're talking about the promises of God. What are the promises of God that are for your life? Focus on them and understand that life, the enemy, your body, all kinds of other things are going to try and get your focus onto something else. But it says here in the Word of God and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. It's already dead. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now that word there for waver means to to discern, doubt, judge, be partial, stagger, or waver. It means to, to, to waver. So look at it this way. We'll give you a little, we'll give you both, both, both camps an opportunity to waver. If you are a fan of a particular sports team, I would imagine being in Philadelphia, we have a lot of Philadelphia Eagles fans, but it might be another one. If you are a fan of that team, you go into the game believing that that team is going to win. How many have watched the game where you started off believing that your team was going to win and things happened that caused you to waver and to begin to think, I don't think they're going to win this game. I think they might lose. And then all of a sudden the tide began to turn. And they began to, and began to go in another direction. Last week watching the Eagles game. I didn't watch the Eagles game last week. But I heard about it. 
And I know that there's a particular thing that happened in the third quarter that was not very good. And how many people began to waver? We're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game. I know it. We're going to lose this game. Kevin Cobb. He's no wince. We're going to lose this game. And begin to waver. And then all of a sudden some things happen. And, well, maybe we can win this game. And then you went, oh, I don't know. I think we're not going to win this game. Oh, wait a minute. We are winning this game. That's wavering. You're going between two opinions. You're vacillating between two opinions. If you're in the Hallmark movie camp, how many of you watched one of the Hallmark movies and you think that this guy is perfect for this girl? And then something happens and you waver. Well, wait a minute. She can do better than that. <laughs> this is not so good. She can, she can do better. Than, you're wavering. And then what happens later on in the movie? You come back to the right, the other side. You know, we're watching somebody and my wife or I will say something about, I don't like that character. And if she says it, I usually always come back with, you're not supposed to. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, the characters that are bad, you're not supposed to like them and they make them so that you won't like them. You're going along with the plan. If you like the character they don't want you to like, things are not working the way they're supposed to be, be doing. But this is what wavering is. You're vacillating between two opinions. Yes, they're good for each other. No, they're bad for each other. Yes, they're good for each other. No, they're bad for each other. I've watched Hallmark movies and I've had the impression, you know, I, I, you, know who's, you know who is supposed to get together at the start of the movie. There is not a Hallmark movie made that you don't know this, except we did watch one this year in which they were already married. I mean, what's the drama in that? You know, they're already married. They're already married. There was no drama in that. But anyway, most of the other ones, you, you know that. that I, have, I have, generally haven't vacillated because sometimes uh, they're going along and I'm thinking, this girl is too wishy-washy. Get rid of her. Jettison her now. And even at the end when they brought them together, I said, you're, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. But you know what I mean by wavering now? You're going back and forth between two things. Because such situations, circumstances, things that you feel, things that you perceive, things that you think, all this comes into play to get you to vacillate and to believe that the promise that God has given you, whether it be for healing, whether it be for, for uh, success in your job, whether it be for uh, a good family, uh, a good home life, all these kind of things, whatever it is, He gets you to vacillate. I'm going to pull a job, get rid of these kids, and get me some new ones. That happened in Job, you know. Lost all his kids. God said, that's all right, I'll give you a new one. I have to ask Joe about that. Really? The, the new ones? <laughs> hmm. Don't vacillate between two. Now the root here means, means two. The, the root of the Greek word means two. It's to judge between two things. I'm judging between the promise of God and what my body is saying. I'm judging between the promise of God and what my job is saying. What the economy is saying. All these things. I'm judging between what God has said and what is going on in my life. That's what I have to judge between. 
and I'm vacillating between the two things. Here's what God said. Here's what my body is telling me. Here's what my economy is telling me. Here's what my bank account is telling me. We go through all these different things. We're hearing, and it's trying to get me to vacillate. What are we supposed to do? Not vacillate. You got the promise of God. Stay with it. Let's go back over here to the verse of Scripture again. Read it all again. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. It is unbelief in the promise of God that causes you to waver. Belief in the promise of God keeps you steady. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. When we are encountering something in our body, something in our life, something in our situation that is going against the promise of God, it is getting us to challenge the thinking that God is able to pull off what he said. Now, the enemy is real clever with this, too. He doesn't say God is not able to pull it off. He says he's not able to pull it off for you. Something is wrong with you. Something is wrong with your life. Something is wrong. Whatever it might be, something is wrong with you. And because there is something wrong with you, even though God can do this, He's not doing it for you. And see, everyone else, the promise of God can work for. But I'm thinking it won't work for me. And all that matters, folks, is that Abraham believed God for him. All that matters is that you believe God for you. The devil can get you to, you can believe God for everybody else all you want. It's not affecting him at all. What he wants to stop is you believing God's word will work for you. That's all he's trying to do. If he can accomplish you thinking God's word will not work for me, you will compromise. You will waver. You will become weak in faith. And you will not be able to do the things that you should be able to do. So if Sarah had a problem in addition to being old, she was barren. He's trying to get him to consider these things. But don't do it. Don't, don't consider these other things. It says he was fully convinced that what he, God had promised, God was able to perform. Get co- totally convinced. Last week we were talking about salvation and we used heaven as the example. How many of you believe we're going to heaven? And yet, we, we concluded from last week, no one here has seen heaven. We don't know anyone who's been there. We haven't seen pictures. We don't know where heaven is. And again, if you point in the direction of up, someone on the other side of the world is pointing in the opposite direction. We do not know where heaven is. Yet, you don't know where it is. You don't know anyone who's been there. You haven't been there yourself and you haven't even seen pictures of it. But you believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that you're going. Why? Because you are fully convinced that heaven exists and that it is a waiting place for you. You get that convinced on other things, you won't waver at those either. Let's get over to our story here in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. 
And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to men. Uh, then, they, then, <laughs> then they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now, now get this. Here's the setting. You can't get the guy into the meeting. So we got four friends that are bringing this guy to the meeting. He can't get in. And so they go up to somebody's house that they don't know and take his roof apart and then lower. Now, we're not talking about a little hole. We're talking a hole to take a cot and lower it down. That's a big hole. And they lower him down so he's right there in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees him Right here in the front. You got a lame man on a bed and Jesus says, what? Your sins are forgiven you. How many of you think that the four people brought this man for the purpose of having his sins forgiven? Did not. They brought him for what purpose? To get healed. Now, that could be for a couple of reasons. One, they really like the guy and they want to see him healed. Or two, he is a burden to them and they want to get rid of the burden. Either situation could be right, right? If you had somebody who was lame and you had to carry him around every place, you had to support him, you had to take care of him all the time, how many of you say, Dear Lord, I just want to see this guy healed so he gets out of my hair? Because that may have been going on for a long time. But I'm going, to fall, I'm going to fall on the side that they really like the guy. <laughs> and they're, they're, uh, they just did this because they liked him. Drop him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. Sins are forgiven. That's not really why we came. Didn't come for sins to be forgiven. Came for healing. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Paralysis can get hold of a body ceasing physical mobility. When you are paralyzed, you are ceased from physical mobility, but it allows basic functions. You can still breathe. You can still think. Your heart still works. All the basic, basic functions go on, but you just can't move. Now, when sin gets a hold of a, of a soul, it ceases spiritual mobility, but allows basic functions. You can still go to church. You can still sing. You can still worship God. You can still read the Bible, but it's called paralysis in the soul. The results are there is no forward movement for either of these people, whether it affects your soul or affects your body. Whatever we accomplish, think about this, folks. If we are paralyzed by sin, if we are paralyzed by disease, whatever we accomplish, we accomplish because of someone else. If you have a paralytic, the only way, only way you can go somewhere is how? Someone else. If he's going to have food made for him, how's that, how does that happen? Somebody else. If he's going to get a bath, how's that happen? If he's going to get dressed, everything that happens, happens because of someone else. And when we are paralyzed by sin, everything that happens in our life that is good in the spiritual realm is because of someone else. 
So Jesus sees him and he says, your sins are forgiven. Because he saw sin as being a problem. You know, sin can be a problem and we not even know it. But Jesus, as soon as he saw him, he knew that sin was a problem for him. And he said, your sins are forgiven. See, guilt can keep us wrapped up in things that we're not supposed to be wrapped up in. But Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But the enemy can keep coming around telling you you're still a sinner. Look at the thoughts that you had. Look at the things you did. Look at this over here. And he keeps bringing our attention to things in which I don't measure up. That's why you don't have the job that you have. That's why you're unemployed. That's why you're sick. That's why your mind isn't right. That's why you live this way. Whatever it might be. He gets us to think that because of the sin issue. So he says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes who were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now isn't it interesting here? These are the spiritual leaders. They are okay with a healing meeting. Think about this. The spiritual leaders in Jesus' day are okay with a healing meeting. They are not okay with a forgiveness meeting. They have no problem with the healing power of God, but they do have a problem with the forgiving one. Now look at it today. Today, people have no problem with the forgiving side of God. We accept that. But we have a problem with the healing side of God. Isn't that interesting? It seems that we always have a problem with one side or the other. And yet God is the healer and the forgiver. He's both. Back then, no problem with the healing side. Problem with the forgiving side. Some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They didn't say it. They reasoned it in their hearts. They thought it. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? I love the way he phrases this. And every time I read this, I think of, uh, one of the teachers I, I have, Brother Keith Moore, he would, he would teach about this. And whenever he would, he would always say, isn't it interesting that Jesus said, which is easier, not which is harder? Which is easier, not which is harder? Because to Jesus, they're both easy. Which one's easier? I mean, they're both easy. Which one's easier? Which is easier, to pick up this feather or to pick up this piece of paper? Both easy. None of them are hard. Jesus doesn't describe this as something that's hard because in his view, it's easy. You know how we describe this? Which is harder? To say your sins are forgiven or to say that you're healed? Because we view it as something difficult. But apparently Jesus does not. He views them as something that is easy. When you stop viewing the thing that you're facing as something difficult and start seeing it as something easy, things will change. Ethel was referring to some things we're getting to in Hebrews that we're supposed to do things from a place of rest. Most Christians are either working the forgiveness part of God or the healing part of God as if effort was needed on their part. 
Father God, would you forgive me? If you forgive me, I promise I will give all my money. I promise I will never do this. I promise I will never go. We make all these promises because we feel like the forgiveness part of God needs something from me. Or even in the healing part. How many of you, are, have, how many of you have ever said or heard people say this? Well, I'm believing with everything I've got. Why? Because I'm working hard. I'm working hard on this. I've been praying. I've been reading the Bible. I've been meditating on the Scriptures. You're working. You're not doing it from a place of rest. You're doing it from a place of work. You're trying to work it up. Quit it. Jesus did the work. He did the work for forgiveness. He did the work for healing. You don't got to do the work. Beside that, your work doesn't do any good. Can you do anything to help your case for being forgiven? Word of God says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. That means it's no good. It's a good thing you don't need it. It's a good thing you have somebody else's. And that's Jesus. So he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Now think about this. You think about somebody in your life that you know who is paralyzed. Or maybe you just saw them in the Walmart or the grocery store or wherever it might be, paralyzed. How many of you consider it to be easy to go up to them and say, arise, take up your bed and walk? How many of them, if we're envisioning doing that, how many of us think, oh, man, that is hard. I don't know if I could do that because we see it as difficult, hard. What does Jesus see it as? I mean, guys, what's it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or, rise, take up your bed and walk. See, Jesus sees this as something easy. We see it as something hard. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Now that word for power is the Greek word that means authoritative power, delegated power. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on this earth to forgive sins, so that you may know that, I'm going to say this one. Now, if you turn over to Luke chapter 5, don't turn there now. I think I wrote the reference in your, in your outline for you. But in Luke chapter 5, it says this about the meeting. It says, the power of God was present to heal them. Daryl, if you want, pull that up on the screen just so everybody can see it. 5.17. Luke 5.17. I want you to, just to, so you don't think I'm making anything up. Look at it. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is describing the same situation we have. The power of God was present to heal who? Them. How many people got healed in this meeting? One. So how is the power of God present to heal them, and yet we only have one healed? Remember last week we were looking at the, the Peter? The power of God was present for Jesus to walk on water. Did that power of God work over to Peter? The power of God was present and Peter could walk on water. Was the power of God present for anyone else to walk on water? Absolutely. They would have got out of the boat. They didn't get out of the boat. They didn't try it. The power of God was present. Was the power of God still present when Peter was sinking? Yes. 
You see, just because your body resembles a healed person or not does not testify about the healing power of God. Your sinless life does not testify about the forgiving power of God. None of those things come into play. God is the forgiver of all sins, whether you ever walk free from sin or not. And he is the healer of all diseases, whether you ever walk free from your disease or not. Your, the, the presence of health in your body does not testify to the will of God to heal. His word does. And his word says, he sent his word and healed them of their diseases. Hmm. And Jesus came into the world to do the will of God. How many people did he make sick? None. How many people did he heal? All that were brought. There are a couple of stories where their unbelief turned it off, but for the most part, they brought on uh, people that were needed healing. He healed them. See, the enemy has come in and he's, he's tuned us this way. If you still feel pain in your body, you're not healed. If you still feel guilt, you're not forgiven. If you still feel, if you still think, then you're not. And see, that's not the case. The case is, what's the Word of God say? See, when the testimony of the wind and the waves tells you you can't walk on the water, if you don't listen to it, you keep walking on the water. If you listen to it, you sink. If the testimony of your body tells you that you're healed, what good is that? Because the testimony of your body can change. You want the testimony of the Word of God. What's the Word of God say about it? And you believe what the Word of God has to say. That's it. And it's not just healing. And it's not just forgiving. God has a, has a purpose for your life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. That's in the Word of God. That's in the Word of God. But your life is telling you something different. Your life is saying, you're going nowhere. Nobody likes you. Nobody's giving you raises. Oh, that's right. I guess. And we begin to accept something different from what the Word of God has to say. Don't accept it. Hang on to the Word of God. You see, this is what made Abraham's faith strong. He did not consider what his body was telling him. He did not consider what Sarah's body was telling him. He did not consider the deadness of his body. He did not consider the deadness of her body. What he considered was the promise of God. And he didn't get that way overnight. Or a lot of times, in chapter after chapter, I actually had them written down, just not time to go over them all. Chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, in the book of Genesis, talks about how Abraham considered what was being said about him or to him. And then finally he got to the place where he didn't consider it anymore. And that's where we need to be. Stop considering what's going on. Stop considering it. Now, how many of you enjoyed this little cold snap we got? Nobody. I don't blame you. That was nasty cold out there. I was, we didn't necessarily like that. But how many have looked ahead in the weather report? <laughs> how many see some hope? Forty. 45. I even saw one. 
50. Did you see 60? Glory to God. And so when you see that, how many of you put your, 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 your hope into, I just got to get through. I just got to get through to Monday. And then Tuesday's even warmer. Oh, I just got to get through. We're encouraged. And we can endure what we're going through because warmer weather is coming. Why can't we do that with the things of the Word? The Word has said that He has planned good things for us. The Word has said that He has success for us. The Word has said He would give us wisdom in all of our ways. The Word said He would give us favor. Why? Because we live favorably. He teaches us how to live favorably. Therefore, favor comes and finds us. Why don't we believe those things as easily as we do the weather that comes up and says, Tuesday is going to be 50. 50 degrees. 5-0. In December, you won't need your coat. Glory to God. See, the Word of God has given you a forecast for what's coming up. And just because it's in the teens right now, we see that weather report and we put faith and we say, this is what's going to be. This is what's coming. And we do the opposite too. We get to call in for cold weather. How many of you, if you have a fireplace, I have a fireplace, you go out and you start getting wood. Bring it into the house so it's dry. You start getting things set up. Start getting things ready. We're ready for the cold. When that cold comes, and knock this thing out. We'll be ready for it. See, you made preparation. So make preparation for what the Word of God has said about you, that you are healed, that you are saved, that you are forgiven, that you are free from guilt, that you are a success, that you are the called one of God, that you have a purpose for your life, that He has a plan for you. These are all things that He's promised you. These are all things that He said. Get into the Word of God. Find out more about it. Find out what He says. Because we need to know what is it that's going on for me. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed and went on, out in the presence of them all so that all were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, if you were the paralytic lying there on the bed and Jesus says to you, arise, take up your bed and walk, how many of you are saying, but I can't? The reason you would say that is because I am considering what my body is saying. I am considering what my history has been. I am considering where I have come from, what has happened in the past. I am considering all those things and therefore because I consider all those things out of my mouth comes, I can't. But this man didn't do that, did he? He didn't consider the deadness of his body. He did not consider the inability he had to walk. He did not consider his paralysis. He considered what Jesus said, which was, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. Now, did you notice this in the story? That when he arose, he took up his bed, and he walked that he made his way out of the house? How is that possible? 
Because when we started the story, they couldn't get into the house because of how packed it was. So how is it? How is it that suddenly there was room for him to get out? It's real easy, folks. It's real, real easy. If you're going to continue to live underneath your circumstances, the world will not make room for you. But if you will believe God and do as he says, where there was no room, there is now room. And you can walk out of any room no matter how crowded it was. You can walk out of all those things pressing against you that kept you out of something. And now you can just walk right out carrying a bed. How many times have you been told you can't do that? You can't go there. This isn't for you. You can't be promoted. There is no raises. There is all these different things have gone on. I've been telling you there's no room for you in this house. And now suddenly there's room for him to walk out. Just because the world is telling you folks that there's no room for your dream, that there's no room for your vision, that there's no room for the promises of God that come true in your life does not mean that the world is right. Because when you listen to what God says, people will make room for you. What a great ending to a story. Now, I think I had this in your outline. Just run over to it real quick. It's not, uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Was the man healed by power or authority? I copied this in from a couple of years ago when we were looking at power and authority. Was, was he healed because of authority? Or was he healed because of power? This man was healed because of the power of God, not the authority. There are some healings that go on because of authority. Sickness and disease is one of those. And we're going to get into how to deal with sickness and disease and how to deal with injuries. There's some differences on it. We're just not there yet. It is coming. I mean, we may not get there until Jesus comes back. Jesus comes back, you don't need to know the answer anyway. I'll put this in your outline for you. Once someone receives the authority, the authority of Jesus, the authority of God, the authority of the Word, once someone receives the authority, the door is open to receive the power. But if you won't receive the authority of God, you won't receive His power. You've got to receive the authority. He received His authority by doing what Jesus said. Arise, take up your bed, and walk. He received the authority. And because he received the authority, the power of God hit him. And what he couldn't do before, he was suddenly able to do. And this man took up his bed and he walked home. So what healed him, folks, was the power that was present. That power that was present to heal them that ended up only healing him. Folks, there is power around you in your life, power of God to change your situation. But until we tap into that power, until we believe and act on the things that God has said, that power just is around us. And it doesn't change our life. Just because your life hasn't changed according to the power of God does not mean that power cannot change your life. It just means that you have considered other things. I'm considering what the world tells me. I'm considering what my relatives tell me. I'm considering what my body tells me. I'm considering what the economy tells me, what my boss tells me, what my coworkers tell me. I'm considering what other people keep putting in my ears. But until you stop and put all that stuff away and just consider what has God said on this matter, then those other considerations are going to keep weighing you down and taking you in the wrong direction. 
You see, when God has spoken things to you, it will not necessarily be easy for you to do, but it will be beneficial. It's not easy, but it is beneficial. He said to this man, rise, take up your bed and walk, but he may say something different to you. You may not need those words, rise, take up your bed and walk, but whatever words you need, he is present to give them and to help you. Listen to the words of God. Some of those words are written right in your Bible. All you got to do is read them. And some of those words, he's going to speak to you and say, Steve, do this. Do this. Doors will be opened. I'll put this in your outline for you. God's power over the invisible is never truly demonstrated to the world until they see God's power over what is visible. God's power over the invisible is never truly demonstrated to the world until they see God's power over what is visible. They didn't believe that Jesus had power over what was invisible, sin, until they saw that he had power over what was visible. But when you get to the place where you will believe that God has power over invisible and visible, regardless of what you see, that's when your life takes a different change. That's when Abraham's life took a change because up till then he had to see it to believe it. But eventually he came to the place where he considered not his own body now dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God. But through faith believed. When you get to that place, your life will change for healing. Your life will change. God will bring things together. He will bring people, bring contacts in, and he will orchestrate things to help you out. My wife was saying, she was remembering a, a story with, uh, with my daughter when, um, when little Lissy was born. That things had gone on in that situation that tried to, to kill her and take her from us. Things had gone on in that situation to try and take the baby. Things had gone on to try and, and make this thing go in a bad direction. Not only that day, but also in some of the days to come. But God had brought the right people in the right places and saw the right thing to, to change it and to bring it about. Glory to God. She was ready to bleed out on that, that table with that C-section. But the doctor who was there, oh no, I've seen this before. I know what this is. And he, he took care of it and headed it off. Glory to God. You see, when you, God can bring the right people around and have the right things in place for what you need. But don't consider... What has happened before? How many of you have a bad case in, the, in, the, in something in your past that tells you you're going to be a failure? You're never going to be better at your job than what you've got right now. This is it. This is the best it's going to be for you. It won't get any better. But you see, you've you got to believe it. You've got to get to that place where you can, be, you can believe. We've had presidents. We've had leaders who have said things, I'm quoting people, I'm not telling you who, I'm just quoting people right now, that people have said that America will never be great again. We've had people that have said that the jobs that have left America are gone for good. How many remember that being said about our country? The jobs that have left America are gone for good. They have said things like this and our country was following that course. But then we got leaders who come out there and say, no, it's not going that direction. And they have a different 
vision. They see something different and they have spoken other things. No, those jobs are coming back. And how many think, glad we've seen some of those jobs come back. Glory to God for that. You see, you can call these things out in your life one way or the other. You can do it. What does the Word of God say about you? The Word of God says you can be a blessing. The Word of God says you can be a success. You can be the head and not the tail. Would you all stand up with me? Get into the Word of God. Learn what the Word of God has said. We spend seven days out in the world hearing what the world says, hearing what the world expects, hearing how the world sees our God. We hear what the world says about your future, where you're going, about your health condition, whatever it might be. We hear that all the time. Get into His Word. That's why it's important to be in a church that teaches the Word of God. Because you've got to hear the Word of God. Then during the week, you've got to go over it and over it and over it. Abraham had to go over it and over it and over it. I am the father of many people because God has promised me that I am the father of many nations. I am the father of many. You've got to keep going over that and over it and over it and over it. Whatever God has said to you, you need to go over it and over it and over it. Not to the point that I'm trying to work and make this thing happen, but to the point that I am renewing myself from the belief that what God said, He is able to bring about. He is able to bring it about. Your life, no matter where it is, can change. You can have great success, or you can continue going in a direction of no success. You can have great health, or go in a direction of no health. You can have the promises of God alive in your life, or you can have the things that the world has told you, this is what you're going to have. The direction is up to you. It's not up to God. It's up to you. Will you meditate on His promises? Will you learn what His Word has to say? Or will you accept what others are saying? bow our heads. Father, we thank you that you have helped us. You have ministered to us. You have a call on our life. You have a plan. You have a purpose. There is not a soul on the face of this earth who was not put here that God forgot about. God didn't have a plan for. But God, you have a plan and you can bring that plan about. And though everything in our life for the last year 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, however long, has been telling us that we're going nowhere and nothing's going to happen. Your word says differently. And if we will believe your word, we can turn around the direction that we've been going and go in your direction. We can take our bodies that have been telling us that we're sick and diseased and not able and we can go in a direction that says, I am free from that. We can go in the direction that God has promised we can go in the direction that everyone else says we can go in. This week, Father, as everyone here studies your word, remembers your word, goes over your word, paint in them a picture of hope, of new direction, 
We can call for good things to go on. Or we can call for the same old things to keep happening. And it's up to us. I thank you for it. I give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Glad that you were here with us today. If you're here for the the gifts and the presents that are being distributed, that's all going to go back in the in the nursery back in here. Um, ask you to head on over there. We would like you to do a couple of things for us. Christmas Day, when you're opening these presents and you're taking some pictures, send us some pictures. We can share them with the families who who had gone and um, got these these things. They just like to see the. Uh, so going. You have an email address. You can just email them back to the to the same thing, and um, we just love to to be able to take part of that. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you um, are able to be in a church on a regular basis, that you learn the Word of God. If you're not, we certainly invite you to come on back to here, and we'd love to see you on a, on a regular basis. But if you have a church that you go to and you're learning the Word of God and you're able to overcome the things that the world is telling you, what's going on in your life, glory to God for that. Because the Word of God is what is going to pull you out. Faith in His Word. Faith in His Word. Abraham was selected by God, but never changed the direction of his life for 25 years. But God had selected him, but his direction didn't change for 25 years until he finally got hold of the word. Get hold of it. Let it be a part of your life. Because though it will take time out of your life to do it, it will change where you will go. Things will be a whole lot better. After the service here today, we do have some, uh, all, all the goodies and things we had for the last two <laughs> game nights are back over in here. So we're going to uh, open that up. We're, we're really wanting the, the moms and dads to get a chance to go in there and fellowship. Um, try and keep the little kids out. We don't need to juice them up on sugar. And um, <laughs> we don't want to send all the parents home with sugarized kids. So uh, really just want to try and give you all a place that you can fellowship and enjoy each other's and get to know some, some folks. But if you're there to pick up the presents, that's going to be in that room. The uh, snacks and things are going to be in there. Wednesday night, we are having service here at uh, 7.30. And then next Sunday, of course, we have the service at 10 o'clock, and we're having our Good Friday, ser- or sorry, Good Friday, our, our um, Christmas Eve service at 2 o'clock instead of in the evening. That's uh, the thing we just decided to do this year. So 2 o'clock for the Christmas Eve service. That's going to go on here as well. Uh, my wife had, had something to do too. Okay, we got that already taken care of. Have a blessed day and bless some folks before you get out of here.